0: Good morning. morning. So we are in this series uh, called Name Dropping. We call it that because we're looking at the different names of God. Um, if If you picture in your mind a diamond, a diamond doesn't look round like other rocks out of the ground. You see, they cut it. And it's got all these different sides to it. Each of the sides is called a facet or face. So a diamond has many faces. God's like that. He has many faces. There's many sides to God, many aspects, many facets to Him. And as we look at the names of God, what we're doing is we're looking at the different faces that He shows of Himself. The thing I've learned about being a Christian is God keeps showing himself revealing himself these different facets these different aspects these different sides different faces of himself last week we had pastor I shouldn't say pastor Jamie he used to, yeah he, I can call him pastor he's a pastor Has pastor the church does a good jo- didn't he do a good job preaching yeah about Jehovah the The the, I am that I am. The self-revealing God reveals himself to us. Today we're going to take a next step because there are many compound names of God as he reveals himself. And just as today in the Bible, he reveals these different sides of himself through experiences that the people have. Israel had. It's true today, he reveals himself to us through our experiences. And when they would have an experience, they would build an altar and give it a name, a name of God, decide that God had showed himself. God has showed himself to you as well. You may not have recognized it, but God is always showing himself to us. He's always revealing himself to us, whether we see it or not. The thing about being a Christian is you're looking for it. And you see it when it happens. And so you're growing in your understanding of God as he reveals these things to us. So today we're going to look at another one of those aspects, facets, faces of God. And so I want to read the story in the book of Exodus. If, uh, If you brought a paper Bible with you, like I did and I always do, I'm going to ask you to turn to Exodus chapter 17. This is where this story comes from. Uh, I I know technology is wonderful. I have the Bible app on my phone and I use it. But I still use a paper Bible because as God shows me things, I make notes in my Bible. I, I have a I paid pretty good, well, not this. I didn't pay pretty good money for this. This is a gift from my wife. She paid pretty good money for it. It's a good quality Bible. But it's, your Bible is never, it's, it should be God speaking to you. So write things down. Circle Circle things. Use a highlighter, underline, make notes in the margin as God shows you things about himself. We're going to start reading here. In verse 8, the Amalekites came and attacked the Israelites at Rephidim. Notice who attacked who. Moses said to Joshua, choose some of our men and go out to fight the Amalekites. Tomorrow I will stand on top of the hill with the staff of God in my hands. So Joshua fought the Amalekites as Moses had ordered. And Moses, Aaron, and Hur went up to the top of the hill. As long as Moses held up his hands, the Israelites were winning. But whenever he lowered his hands, the Amalekites were winning. When Moses' hands grew tired... They took a stone and put it under him, and he sat on it. Aaron and Hur held his hands up, one on one side, one on the other, so that his hands remained steady till sunset. So Joshua overcame the Amalekite army with the sword. We jump to verse 15. Moses built an altar and called it the Lord is my banner. Yes. Jehovah Nissi. He just revealed himself another aspect to the Israelites. The Israelites did not fight any battles when they were in Egypt. As they were leaving Egypt, they did not fight any battles. The Lord fought for them when he opened the sea. At Rephidim, they had to fight their first battle. And from then on out, all the way through the book of Exodus, you see them fighting battle after battle after battle. When you become a Christian, your battles begin. When you're living a life of sin, you don't fight any battles. You just go with the flow. You do whatever feels right to you. When you become a Christian and you realize there's a difference between right and wrong, there's a difference between good and bad, that's when your battles begin. Because your flesh is always pulling you toward the way of the world, and your spirit's always pulling you toward God. So that's when the battles take place in your life. So the Amalekites attacked Israel. Why did they attack Israel? We're going to talk about that this morning. I want to share four practical lessons we learned from this story. Here's the first one if you want to take notes. Attacks can be expected at Rephidim. When you're at Rephidim, you can expect attacks. Attacks. So, what is Rephidim? Rephidim means plains. There's a valley, there's a mountaintop, and then there's the plains. The plains are flat areas. It was at Rephidim the enemy attacked. Not because it was a plain. I want us to look at why the Amalekites attacked them. And to do that, we need to go back to the first part of chapter 17 and see why. So we're going to start reading here in verse 4. Then Moses cried out to the Lord, What am I to do with these people? They're almost ready to stone me. The Lord answered Moses, Go out in front of the people. Take with you some of the elders of Israel, and take in your hand the staff with which you struck the Nile, and go. I will stand there before you by the rock at Horeb. Strike the rock, and water will come out of it for the people to drink. So Moses did this in the sight of the elders of Israel. So they're in a wilderness, they're in the desert, they're in a plain in the desert. What is the one thing you don't find in the desert? Water. Water. And the people are griping and they're complaining because Moses has led them out here where there's no water and we're thirsty. Our animals are thirsty, our children are thirsty, everybody's thirsty, there's no hope, we're in trouble, what are we going to do? So he cries out to God, and God says, take that staff and strike that rock out in the middle of the desert. Just strike the rock. And when he did, water gushed out of it. Anita and I had the privilege back in 1986 of going on a tour of Israel. And we, Israel and Jordan were at war at the time. And we flew into Jordan. And we went to Petra. We saw the sights there. And then we took a bus from Jordan over across the border into Israel where we saw the sights. On the way, the tour bus stopped at the site where this where tradition says this is the rock, and it's in, a, it's in a shrine. It's something they build around it. And we saw that rock, and was still water coming out of it. It's a natural spring out there in the desert. It's really not too—we wouldn't call it a plain. It's in, it's in the mountains, pretty rugged territory, where water is coming out. Now Israel got their thirst satisfied they stopped complaining for the day because they had water had their needs met so there's these other people living in this area just as thirsty as the Israelites all of a sudden the Israelites are satisfied the Amalekites are jealous they want that water this is their territory So they declare war on Israel because they want that well, they want that spring, they want that water. Here's the principle. Anytime God shows his favor upon you, other people are going to be jealous. They want the favor of God. So rather than seeking God to have his favor, they want to take away the favor God put in your life. They want to take it away. So that's the first lesson I want us to see here. Attacks at Rephidim can be expected. So they want to, the the whole contest is, is the Lord among us or not? So that's a question I want to pose for you. Is the Lord among us or not? Is he or isn't he? This is called Faith. Because some of us in this room are quick to say yes. Others of us were a little bit reticent, a little bit cautious. Yeah, he's yeah, I believe he's with us, but do I believe he's going to do a miracle? Probably not. The question is, is God with us? And if God is with us, he's a favor giving God, He's a self revealing God, He wants to fight our battles for us. This is what we're learning about God. In verse 8, it says the Amalekites came and attacked the Israelites at Rephidim. The Amalekites were descendants of Esau. Remember Jacob and Esau, the two twins, one's the flesh, the other's the spirit. This conflict back and forth. We're not just reading a history lesson of what happened in the early days of Israel. We're seeing practical contrasts, flesh and spirit. It's a battle we all have to fight, don't we? It's a battle we are still fighting. It's a battle all of us will fight the rest of our days between the flesh and the spirit. But we're here today to encourage ourselves because we want to walk by the spirit, not by the flesh. So God provided water in the desert. And whenever God provides for you, it's a setup for a battle. Because the enemy, the spiritual enemy, does not want you to be satisfied. He wants you to constantly have doubts in your mind. Here's the second lesson we learn. We must help others succeed. Did you see the role of Aaron and her? As long as Moses raised his hands. Had his hands up. And I, the assumption is. He had that staff in his hands he was holding up. As long as he held it up. The the Israelites were winning. When he got tired and put his hands down to rest. The Malachites were winning. It was like a visible win. Yes. One side or the other. Back and forth. And so Aaron and her. Helped him sit down on a rock. And then they held his hands up. Because his hands got tired. Prayer is just hard work. It wears you out. We would rather not be serious about praying and communicating with God and stay in touch with Him. We'd rather get a sword out and fight a battle. Moses was a reluctant spiritual leader. He would rather not do this. He would rather not have to shoulder the responsibility of everybody else getting mad at him every time they ran into trouble. Having, raising up hands represents communicating with God. Represents touching God's hands. One of the things we all have to do is we have to recognize who the Moseses are in our life and help hold their hands up. God puts his hands on people. He works through people, men and women of different kinds in different ways. We need to find out who those people are and help them hold their hands up. Because as long as their hands are up, there's going to be a victory. When their hands get weary, tired, they drop their hands, the battle gets lost. So we need to help those people hold their hands up. Lifting up hands is a type of prayer. Let me read this from the Old Testament. Psalm 28 verse 2 says, Hear my cry for mercy as I call to you for help, as I lift up my hands, Toward your most holy place. Where's God's most holy place? It's up there. I lift up my hands toward heaven. I lift up my hands toward the throne. I lift up my hands where my Redeemer sits. Lifting up my hands. In the New Testament, it's the same thing. First Timothy chapter 2, verse 8. Paul says, Therefore, I want men everywhere to pray, lifting up holy hands without anger. Or disputing. We'd get a whole lot more done if we just didn't get so angry at one another. If we just didn't have to dispute every little detail about the Word of God. Just lift up holy hands. That's why when we worship, you see a lot of us raising up holy hands. Because we're trying to communicate with God. It's prayer. And prayer his work. Verse 12 says, his hands were heavy. Have you ever worked on a project like hanging a ceiling fan? Or working on some plumbing from underneath? Or working on your car and you're, you're holding it up? You can only hold that thing up there for so long. It just gets really heavy. You got to put your hands down. You got to rest. Well, the assumption is, this was like an all-day battle. Moses got tired holding that staff up there. Got weary. He needed some people to come along beside him and help him out. Help him hold those hands up. Because as long as his hands were up, they were winning the battle. Winning spiritual battles in the family of God... Is an everyone affair. If I help you hold your hands up, you win. If you help me help hold my hands up, I win. Yeah. If we all help one another hold their hands up, everybody wins. Awesome. Amen. Amen. Right. Good word, ministry. Keep preaching. And note this: every battle we win. It's temporary. You never win the war. You win the battles. Satan will back off for a while. But you know he's going to step back in again. He's always looking for a weakness to attack us. I want to read an illustration that's a true story. It's from back in the old days, but I think you're going to get the, the message. An old whaling captain told the story of a time he had been sailing in a hard wind all morning, making little headway. About noon, the idea suddenly came to his mind, why battle these waves? There are probably just as many whales to the north as to the south. Immediately, he changed the course of his ship. One hour later, he overtook four lifeboats containing 14 sailors, the only survivors of a shipwreck. They had been adrift 10 days, praying frantically for rescue. They could not have survived another day. The old whaler said, I am convinced God put that idea into my mind to change the course of my ship. You see, I began every day of my life with a prayer that God will use me to help someone else, and he does. Could it be that if we would all start our day Instead of hustling around to beat the traffic to get to work, if we would just talk to God in the process and have a conversation with him and ask God to guide us so that we can help someone else, maybe God would work out some divine coincidences so we'd help someone else. And if someone else is praying the same prayer, maybe God would give them a divine coincidence toward us. This is the way it's supposed to work. Okay, I gotta move on. Uh, Here's the third practical lesson. Battles are always fought uphill. The battle is fought in the valley, but it's won up on the hilltop. You see this? See this contrast? Christian life is all a bunch of contrasts. Up on the hilltop, Moses and Aaron and Her are connecting with God. Yes. Down in the valley, Joshua and the army swinging swords. Come on. Who won the battle? Moses or Joshua? Was the battle won down in the valley or was the battle won on the hilltop? I think it's both. You don't win spiritual battles by praying, 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 praying. Sometimes you got to get out the sword. Neither do you win the spiritual battles in your life swinging the sword, fighting the battle. Sometimes you got to stop and pray. It's, there's two sides, there's two facets, there's two dimensions to your spiritual battle. Verse 13 says So Joshua overcame the Amalekite army with the sword. Yes, he did. But if Moses wasn't up on the hilltop, it wouldn't have happened. That's right. It takes both aspects, both facets. There's two dimensions to the spiritual battles we win in our life. Let me give you real quick four reasons why we don't pray. Here's number one. Because we don't believe God will answer. Is that true? If we believe God would answer, I think we would pray. But we really don't think God will answer, so we don't pray. Here's the second reason we don't believe God can do better than we can. Come on, preach Pastor. Come on, preach it. I can live my life pretty good, I can make some pretty good decisions. I can, I've done pretty good, right? So God can't do better than I can, so I'm just going to do this myself. That's why we don't pray. Here's a third reason. Because we don't know who we are in Christ. If we knew who we were in Christ, that we are a son of God, we are sons and daughters of God, we have a personal love relationship with He's he's our father, he's watching out for us. If we don't know that, then we're not going to pray Why we don't get our prayers answered because we don't pour our lives into prayer. Here's the fourth one we don't think the need is great enough. I mean, God steps in for big problems, but all I have is a whole bunch of little problems. God cares about my little problems. All right, here's number four, fourth one. The Lord must always be our banner. Webster defines a banner like this a piece of cloth attached by one edge to a staff and used by a leader as a standard. That's what a banner is. You know banners, it's a theme, it's a motto. It's a logo. It's what you stand for. It's what you stand under. It's that thing you hoist up there, and that's more important than anything else, and you serve it all your life. We all have banners. Every business has a banner. Every entity has some kind of a banner. A banner can be an adjective, such as, we had a banner year. Or a banner can be a verb. We want to banner this sermon series. And it can also be a noun. Like a flag or the colors. We've got a couple examples of banners. Let's see if you recognize them. Here, here's the first one. Anybody recognize what that banner is? It says right there, Boy Scouts of America. Here's another one. See if you recognize this. State of Indiana. Most of us in here are Hoosiers. We might have some Buckeyes here this morning or someone visiting. Here's another one. See if you recognize this one. I've seen that someplace. It's our church, New Hope Christian Center. It's our banner. Here's another one. See if you recognize this banner. Old glory. The star-spangled banner represents our country. With the 4th of July coming up this week, that ought to be a little bit inspirational for us Americans. Jehovah Jehovah, Nissi. Is the Hebrew word for the Lord is my banner. The Lord is my banner. He makes it personal. He claims it. The Lord is my banner. I serve under Him. He leads me. I submit to Him. He's my banner. This is who I serve under. Who do you serve under? One of the sides, one of the faces, one of the facets of Jehovah is he's our banner. He cares about us. We have a relationship with him. If I have a, if I have a flag to hoist as a Christian, I ought to be hoisting the Christian flag. This Jesus Christ who paid the price for me.